With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome in everybody to episode 154 of the podcast. It is Sweeping America, the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Last week, unbelievable week for the show we went global i got into an intercontinental beef with the country of australia intercontinental sounding like something from wwe or whatever but uh i'm in a beef with australia i think i finally tamed it down we had the nba draft deadline i did my initial reactions now I want to bring on somebody else to talk about it. Tell me where I'm right. Tell me where I'm wrong and kind of just bounce ideas off each other. And I haven't had him on in a while. Nick Coffey, you can hear him every day, 7 to 10 Eastern, 790 KRD in Louisville. Nick Coffey, how's life? How are you? Doing well. Happy to be back. And, uh, you know, this today is a reminder for me that you and I, obviously, it's prime time for us when college basketball is in the beat of things, college football as well. But, like, here we are in early June, and this is supposed to be where we're kind of churning out, reaching for the bottom of the barrel. But, like, we have a loaded plethora of things to get to today. So I'm fired up and ready to go. Yeah, real quick. First of all, for anybody who is listening for the first time after hearing Nick and I on Kentucky Sports Radio this morning, welcome. Uh, I hope you enjoyed that show. I hope you have subscribed to this show. I'm going to get into the subscription, how you do it, in a minute. But, Nick, I will say this really quick because you just brought up a point that I thought was interesting. I saw all these articles last week about, oh, you know, like the college basketball offseason is extended, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, yeah, Nick and I have been talking about that for like two years, how it's amazing that it used to feel like uh, the season would end and then it would just go dark, right? There would just be like, you'd have like the coaching changes, whatever. Now, love it or hate it with the transfer market uh, that has picked up steam. So you have the initial wave of kids declaring for the draft. You then have the transfer market. There's more players than ever waiting later in the process as high school players to commit to colleges, waiting to see how all the college rosters play out. And then, oh, by the way, uh, you get the second wave of draft stuff as we got last week with the uh, with the declaration deadline, which has now become for college basketball a day in and of itself. We still, by the way, have a little draft to talk about. We still have one or two transfers on the market. So it is amazing because I just found it interesting. You just brought it up again, Nick, because you and I have been talking about it really since the season ended. We talked about it this time last year, and it's amazing how many other writers, podcasters, radio hosts, whatever, are just starting to pick up on like, wow, yeah, the season doesn't actually end just because the, the, the conversation doesn't end because the season ends in early April. 
but it never does. I mean, even like, I think the NBA draft is a college type event. Now, certainly it's more geared towards the NBA, but like, I think, here's an example for you. Louisville. We don't have an NBA team. We don't have, we don't actually do well with the NBA ratings watch television. We were one of the top markets every year for the NBA draft because we just want to see what happens with the college guys. And even the summer league, I mean, it's, it's something people don't watch the games that much, but they pay attention to it because it revol- it, it, it relates to guys that were previously playing in college. So look, you can, you can really make it a, uh, an around the year thing if you really try. And I think as you alluded to, there's just, there's things that change in recent years that make it even more that, that case with the, I mean, college, I mean, the, the, the post college basketball season up till the deadline that just happened this past week, like that was, I, mean, I feel like that kept college basketball in, in the conversation for a lot of folks around the country simply because, you know, you had a long period of time where you didn't have clarity as to who was going to be back and who was going to be going pro and, yeah, I mean, I feel like in a weird way, the, the Final Four was, what, nearly two months ago, yeah. yet here we are. I feel like it was a huge week for college basketball. Oh, no, it was 100% a huge week, and it's been a huge couple months, and so uh, let's get into it all. Let's get into draft deadline, what happened, what we liked, what we didn't like. Before we do, for the new listeners and for the old ones, I want to remind everyone to subscribe to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, doing two episodes a week, two shows a week, every week throughout the offseason. You can do it on iTunes, Podcast Addict. You can do it on Podbean. Podcast Addict, by the way, is for people who have an Android. That's where I download the show, so subscribe on Podcast Addict. Podbean, TuneIn Radio, basically anywhere you get your podcasts. Also, make sure, rate and review the show. Five stars. Do it over on iTunes. Give us a quick five stars. Uh, please follow the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast page on Instagram. Whenever I have guests or anything like that, I'm always putting out previews, teasers, all that kind of stuff. And also, if you have questions, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. Again, thank you everybody for listening to Kentucky Sports Radio this morning. And now let's get into it, Nick. So, okay, so you mentioned. Last week was a huge week. I, I equated it to, on the last episode, and I encourage everybody to go back and listen, is almost like a, a like a, the night the, pres- like the presidential vote is, right? Like you're watching uh, CNN or Fox News or whatever you're preferred. I'm not a politi- politics guy, but whether it's Fox News, CNN, you're watching it. Oh, this state came in in favor of me. That state came in in favor of me. Oh, Arizona's in my side. Oh, Alabama's against me. And it's like, and that's how it was with college basketball last week. It was like, oh, EJ Montgomery's coming back. Oh, Jordan Noir is coming back. Oh, uh, Armani Brooks is leaving. Oh, and it was like, it was just a really, really fun, probably 36 hours up until the deadline. There was a few kids, the kid from Virginia that waited until the very end. Uh, maybe one or two others. Jordan Noir was one of the last ones. Overall impressions, because to me, I'll be honest, is, you know, there was a lot of conversation about, oh, 87 underclassmen declared or stayed in the draft. And it became this big talking point of too many guys are going for not enough draft spots. There's obviously only 60 draft spots overall. But I kind of felt like, for the most part, on the deadline day itself, the guys that we expected to come back, like I said, the EJ Montgomery's, Jordan Wars, Diakite from Virginia, uh, Delorier from Duke, Miles Powell from Seton Hall, like all the guys that we expected to come back did come back. I didn't think there was any shocking news from Thursday. What about you? 
Yeah, there was. I mean, the guys who went pro that you know aren't getting drafted, we kind of knew they were going to do that anyway. And I just think that was, for me, I felt like there was a lot of transparency in a lot of these decisions. And normally, I don't know if that's always the case. And again, it's not because there was transparency because it was an obvious no-brainer. Like, well, yes, Cam Reddish, R.J. Barrett. Um, you know, Tyler Hero. We we knew they were going to go pro because they're obviously going to get drafted. But guys that you really didn't have a feel for were guys like Wara, guys like Montgomery, guys like Miles Powell, and I mean, the two guards from Kansas that came back, Ryan, and I forget the other Dotson, uh, young yep. man's name. That was obviously a huge. Dotson, was it Dodson? Yep. That his yep. name? Yep. So uh, those were the guys that you kind of really, and that's what I thought made the whole, I guess, twenty-four hour period interesting. Is that you knew there were certain guys that it was a toss-up, but the guys that came back, it certainly changes things for those teams that they are back. But they're also not guys that you just look at that are ultimate game-changers in college basketball alone. So I, I kind of feel like there were, you know, I, I'm, obviously we were following here Jordan Warren and E.J. Montgomery around these parts, but it was, it was, I don't know, it, was, it felt like there was so much suspense, but then once the dust settled and we realized who was coming back and who wasn't, you know, obviously, teams felt better about getting certain guys back, but it wasn't as if, like, wow. You know, it, what I looked at is, who was the guy that came back where you were shocked? And there's not a Miles Bridges, like, after his freshman year when he came back to Michigan State when he was a lock to be a top 20 pick. Montrez Harrell, when he came back to Louisville to be a junior, he was pretty much considered a lock to be a top 25 pick. There wasn't really that guy this year, but we also know there were really good college players that decided to come back. So I love it. I know it makes the jobs harder for coaches to kind of get a feel because they don't know until the beginning of June what they what they have. You know, some guys find out. I mean, hell, Bill Self found out this week that he's not getting the top freshman he's recruiting. They got going to Australia to play. So I know it makes things a little harder, and there's not exact there's not exact transparency for a while. But I actually think just the suspense, just the refreshing of Twitter nonstop to see who's coming back and who's going from a fan's perspective, it was awesome. But yeah. I, I, you're right. There was no guy that you just said, "Wow, what is he doing?" Because even the guys who we know aren't going to get drafted that were going to go, it kind of seemed like there was a feel already ahead of time that they weren't going to be back. Yeah, and it, it's weird because you know, you, you, and me, like I follow this stuff really, really closely. Like it's just what I really enjoy. And it was kind of funny though because, and I think the difference this year, which has been well documented, is everyone could have an agent now. So it used to be like, okay, if you declare and you sign with an agent, like your eligibility is gone. And this year, everybody signed with an agent, so nobody, we didn't really have clarity on like people that were going to stay or go, and who's actually just testing the waters, who is actually in this to stay. But like, if you really read the tea leaves. And if you really like followed what people said, there wasn't really that much shock. Like as an example, everyone made a big deal about Jared Harper from Al- uh, from Auburn. Oh, he's five nine. He's this. He's that. Like if you just read his statement the day he declared, he's like, "I am declaring with the intention to stay in this draft, and my career at Auburn is done. Thank you for the time." And so I did find that really interesting that people were like, "Well, I can't. I can't. Jared Harper might not get drafted." It's like, yeah, but he was also a junior. Uh, just led his team to the school's first ever Final Four. They lose a bunch of guys. Like it's not. Pro- he's five foot nine. Unless he grows four inches in his senior year at Auburn, it's probably not going to get better for him. Uh, Jordan Bone from Tennessee. Like he was a fourth year junior. Like it's just time for him to go. Zach Norvell from Gonzaga, fourth year junior. Time for him to go. Uh, so I didn't really think there was that many um, surprises. And a matter of fact, to your point, I just saw on ESPN.com they have a 
way too early 2020 mock draft, and the only guys that are returning to college as sophomores that are in the first round currently projected, and this is stupid, by the way, because guys always emerge. This year it was whatever, Jarrett Culver and I don't know, a million other guys. There's not going to be John Morant. John Morant, perfect example. So the only guys that played college basketball next year that are still projected in the first round, Trey Jones from Duke at 16, um, Io DeSumo, who plays at Illinois at 24, he's going to be a sophomore as well. A.J. Lawson, who plays at South Carolina, who was he reclassified at the last minute anyway, so he was basically a freshman anyway. And then Ashton Hagens at 29 and Devon Dotson at 30. So that just kind of proves the point for you, Nick. There was no like big surprising name, whether it was from the beginning or later on in the process that ended up deciding to come back. Uh, the guys that are projected to be first-rounders next year are basically the guys that we were like, yeah, wow, that's kind of surprising they're going to come back when a Trey Jones or a uh, an Ashton Hagens early in the process basically said, yeah, I'm not even going to test the waters. Yeah, and honestly, I think the difference here with the guys being able to, I guess, use an agent but yep. not you know, necessarily lose their amateurism, that's what I was worried about with certain guys is that I think once you like if if you're an agent and you retain a client who's I guess on the fence, you're wasting your time if you, you if if you if you represent this amateur player and they don't go pro. So that was kind of yeah. what you know, I, I paid attention to E. J. Montgomery because he didn't retire an agent. He had Tony Delk working with him. And Tony Doug actually told everybody that he was going to be going pro, which ended up being wrong. But like Jordan Ward had an agent and I just I just told myself, once you get out you're living six weeks with this professional lifestyle and an agent is yeah. able to pay for your travel, pay for your workouts. I just assumed that you would get a taste of that pro life that you wouldn't come back. So that was the only new thing for me that we hadn't had before to where guys could literally be represented by agents as long as they had it in writing that they were going to terminate that relationship if they decided to come back. So, um, yeah, in the end, you know, it was fun. It was exciting. But kind of to circle back here, there really wasn't, huge shock of somebody deciding to come back. I mean, the guys who made that decision kind of realized, you know what, I could probably go and I might get drafted, but I could easily improve my situation if I come back for a year. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, I had thought of that, not for this podcast necessarily, but just in general, is I know that, like in a perfect world, right, like two things. One, you're hoping the agent does what's best for his client, but in the real world that doesn't actually happen. But then two, like an agent's job is to make money. And I know they're building the relationship and whatever, blah, 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 blah. But, like, it is a good point of, like, what incentive does the agent have to send you back to college? Now, the argument... Exactly. Yeah, like, for people sitting at home, like, the argument might be, well, you know, uh, blah, 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 blah. Well, you know, if if he's a second rounder this year, he could be a first rounder next year. It's like, yeah, but nobody guarantees that he's going to sign with the same agent next year, right? You know? Well, that and and, and those guys are never going to be make or break clients. This agent that represents the war is not... His his agency is not going to be substantially different by getting Jordan now or getting a guy next year in the same situation. Yeah, or keeping Jordan or now having him go as a second round pick as opposed to, wow, he he went from being the 58th overall pick this year to the 29th overall pick next year. Like in the grand scheme of that agency, it's not really going to work out. So Exactly. Yeah, so I'm not really surprised. I, like, I guess now that we're talking it out, I guess I am actually a little bit more surprised that more players – on the fence, didn't declare because they were probably getting a nudge from their agent, the guys like a Devon Dotson, uh, maybe a few others. But we are at this place now where we do have, like now, a 
understanding of what college basketball is going to look like next year. And I think the biggest topic to me that came out of this past week, and you could disagree, you know, Kansas was a big story. Um, I think Maryland is actually kind of a sneaky big story. They're going to be really good next year. Well, they're going to be really talented next year. Mark Turgeon hasn't really proven that he can win with, with much of anything. But I think it's the fact that the state that you live in, um, so many of our listeners are in Kentucky or are either Kentucky fans, Louisville fans in that area. Uh, I, by the way, I'll say this. I think I was on top of this first. I think in my postseason, like the day after the uh, season ended, I had Louisville at like number nine. And I think everybody else had them like 20. And all of a sudden you see these mock drafts or these mock top 25s come out the day after the deadline, it was clear once Jordan Noir announced he's coming back, they got Louisville in the top five. I've had them there. I have them at number four coming into next season. I have Kentucky at number two. To me, that feels like the biggest story coming out of this is Kentucky usually recruits well enough to start in these preseason top fives every year. Louisville, you know, some years yes, some years no, but obviously with the coaching change and the scandal, it does feel like this is the first year where maybe I'm crazy, tell me I'm wrong, it feels like the rivalry is back on, it feels like both schools are good, it feels like both fan bases are feeling confident, I got both in the top five to start the year and it feels like we got to get this this thing moving, we got to we gotta get the season here. The rivalry is back on, but not for the reason that some might expect. The rivalry is back on just because That's such a Louisville radio guy tease can, right there. Can, that was, such a radio, that? that was such a radio guy tease. The rivalry is back oh, well, on, well, but not what you think. Well, Stay tuned well, until it's after the break. back on because Kentucky, because Louisville fans can get off the mat and feel good about their team. Like, I always say this on my show, not always because it's not something people like to hear, but Kentucky has owned this rivalry in the last decade, and it's really laughable. But even when Louisville's occasionally had, and it's not often, but they've had teams where you feel good, but they just, you know, the team with Montrezl Harrell, Luke Hancock, and Russ Smith, they lost to the Kentucky team in the regular season that, of course, was an eight team. Now, that team made the, made, ended up making the championship game and beat them again in the, in the 16. But it, it's, the rivalry's not back on because it's going to be super competitive long term. But Louisville fans, for the first time in a long time, feel good about their team. Now, I don't think anybody's calling their shots saying they're going to whoop Kentucky and it's going to be a blowout. But this is the first time in a long time where you look at your team and say, you know what, I'm confident. We got everybody back. They returned their first, they returned their leading score, the two leading scorers for the first time since they brought back Terrence Williams and Earl Clark. They have a top 10 class coming in. They, they, and there's a lot to like about the roster. So that'll, that's why it's back because you're, you know, this, you know, today I was at Home Depot and I saw two employees there. Uh-oh. They were local fans and Kentucky fans. They were going back and forth arguing about it. I was at dinner last night and I overheard a table next to me. A Louisville fan and a Kentucky fan. They were going back and forth. Really? That alone says that it's back on in that sense. But clearly, Louisville's got a lot of work to do to where they can claim that they are, you know, you know, competing long, you know, as far as longevity is concerned. And that look, my show Friday and Thursday were both big on just wow, UL UK are both going to be preseason top five teams most likely, and that's kind of unheard of. And with with the Louisville lead here, I mean, this is not unfamiliar territory for. John Calipari and his team every year they're preseason top five. But Chris Mack is so far ahead of schedule and I, I, I you know, I, I do think if he has a bum year next year and they underachieve, then it's gonna be on him and he's gonna take some criticism and it will be deserved. But just the thought of them being in his second year, they bring in a top ten class. I still think the way it ended last year, I think they still overall kind of overachieved. And to see them here, it's just it's you no know, you'd have told anybody around Louisville basketball, that they'd be here, 
you know, two years ago, nobody would ever expect it. So they haven't accomplished anything yet. Results matter. The preseason hype is all fun. But I think when you're a college basketball crazed fan base, you want to go into a season having this excitement. And Louisville fans were used to it for a while, and now we haven't had it. And now it's here, and it's just kind of like the fan base is as giddy as, as they've ever been. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it, I just love – honestly, the only thing we're hoping for here in Louisville, Aaron, is that – the XAA doesn't get involved before the season starts because, you know, that would be the, that'd be the one ultimate kind of, you know, pissing in the Cheerios, if you will, sure. to kind of ruin the morale because we all know eventually something's going to happen with what happened with Rick Pitino getting fired and all that with Brian Bowen. But since Max took over, it's, it's been a, it's been, it's been a pretty fun ride. So real quick, and then uh, we'll get back to this. So there were just two dudes arguing in the, in the, in aisle seven, the lumber section of, uh, of Home Depot today. So I needed help. I needed help getting. I need. I was going there to get uh, wood treatment. It's like a. Okay. It's like a, a finish that you put on wood that you're going to hang up. It's, I'm a manly uh, man. I know all about that shit. It, 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 I don't need to get too into the specifics of what I was getting, but the guy who was helping me was telling me. Sorry, I was. I, they sent me over here to help you, but I was just arguing with my buddy. <laughs> He's, you know, he, the guy knew who I was. Man, he seems to think Louisville was overrated. And I was like, yeah, you know, they're going to be pretty good next year. They can lot coming back, and then of course. Kentucky fan made his way over. Those two guys are going back at it. It was playful. They worked together. They're friends. But, like, we haven't had that in a while because Louisville fans, they love their team. Even when they're not good, they still support them and root them on. But, like, as far as trash talking, that's been out the window for a long time. And, again, technically it still should be because Kentucky's owned the rivalry. But this is the first time Louisville fans feel as if, okay, I know you got a good team, but, hey, we got a good team too. And, that's again, that's, that's new to us. Fair enough. So you mentioned. Uh, sorry, by the way, I'm, I'm for people who don't know, we're recording Sunday night. Uh, I'm not a college baseball guy. Apparently, Texas A&M was uh, was down nine to one uh, in like the seventh inning and came back to beat West Virginia. So I just actually Nick, holy crap! Yeah, Nick Roush from Kentucky Sports Radio just uh, tweeted out a video. Uh, of it, I I actually think it wasn't even like the the win the the game to like advance to the next regional. It was only like to advance to like the night game of the same regional. So anyway, so sorry. It's just surviving. Yeah, I uh, I got a little distracted by obscure college baseball, so I apologize about that. Let's get back on track. Uh, okay, so so you mentioned Chris Mack being ahead of schedule, all that stuff. Uh, one one thing I did want to ask you. I remember when I put out my too early top 25 after the season and I had Louisville you know I think somewhere in the top 10 and I seem to remember you and I having a conversation where you even said like wow I wasn't expecting Louisville to be that high uh now that you've seen what everybody's returning do you feel like like look we're we're not going to know who's good and who's not and who's overrated and who's underrated for another five months right but like do you feel that okay based on what we have coming back that it is a justifiable ranking top five you know five to ten in some polls some in the top five because I seem to remember like early April when these polls first started coming out I thought you were a little skeptical that maybe guys like me were overrating Louisville a little bit yes and and I remember that vividly but what makes me – well, there's a lot to like about Lowell's roster, no doubt. But what makes me feel more confident about them where they rank is because there's nobody out there that really scares you. This was a year in college basketball where, where if, there's one, if there's one team that was able to, I guess, benefit from 
freshman stars teaming up against Memphis, and they might be really good, but still they're a team that we have to wait to see what Penny Hardaway can do. Duke got a good class, but it's not as if they have Zion, Cam, and yep. um, and RJ again. Agreed. Kentucky has a really good class, but it's not as if I mean this class for Kentucky it works really high. The ingredients are different. It's because they've got quantity. The quality is still really good, but it's not as if they've got a top five guy that's a bona fide NBA superstar. So. You know, Michigan State's deserving to be there, but even they, again, they're going to be good. Won't surprise me if they cut down the nets next year, but they're not, the roster is not built that scares you. So sure. that, you know, for Louisville, that's what really, you know, it took me seeing your rankings earlier than everybody else's, and I kind of, you know, when I said, let's pump the brakes on Louisville being top 10, I got to thinking, okay, well, who are you going to put ahead of them? They bring yeah. back, I mean, Louisville crashed and burned at the end last year, and there's no doubt about it. Now, a lot of it had to do with the fact that they just became very easy to figure out. You take away Jordan Morris specifically. Uh, Christine Cunningham is, is a guy who can do some things, but he's also limited in other areas. I think because Louisville finished the year so poorly, it kind of made me forget that, you know, even when they were losing games, and look, you're ultimately evaluated by winning and losing. Coming close doesn't, doesn't ultimately mean anything. But if you look at the full story, Louisville played some of the best teams in the country when they lost a lot of those games at the end of last year. They were up 23 on Duke. They outplayed Virginia for 38 minutes in Charlottesville. And again, you lost. You don't get any credit for it, but they were on the same level as those teams. And I think that's kind of why I look at them and say, you know what, they they have flaws. They're going to lose games. They're not going 40-0. But I think it's justifiable to have them anywhere between top five to top ten. All right, well, let's move on to Kentucky then because uh, I heard you made some uh, uh, waves on the oh, on the airwaves uh, over the week. Uh, explain what happened with your U- University of Kentucky analysis because I heard you were uh, – person- the way that I was viewed in Australia is the way that you were viewed in Lexington there for a short window. Exactly, exactly. We so, got to talk about my Australia on- thing because I need somebody else's opinion, by the way, but we'll get to that momentarily, <laughs> but – so on Thursday morning, I remember looking at, you know, the re- you know that was when we had almost 100% clarity. We still need to figure out what Kerry Blackshear is going to do. Sure. But I-, I made a comment about the Kentucky team, and I stand by it. And, and-, and Matt went on KSR and misquoted me. He-, he exchanged a specific word with one I think that tells the whole story. But I think he claimed that I said this was the least talented Kentucky team Calipari's had. And I didn't say that. I said it was the least intimidating, meaning hmm. they don't have one guy that you just kind of feel like, well, good luck. There's nothing you can do when this guy's got his game going on. And no matter what you try to throw at him, you know, you know, because there have been plenty of Kentucky teams that you just kind of have to sit back and say, well, what are we going to do? Yep. And this team is super deep, super talented. They could literally platoon if Calipari wanted to, but they don't have anybody on their roster that I think is, is good. And, and, and actually, I don't think they have anybody in the roster that could be the level of P.J. Washington was last year when they were, whenever he was at his best. People forget P.J. Washington was a first-team All-American caliber player for a good chunk of last year. He sure. struggled at the beginning, and then he got hurt. But when he was playing well, he was as good as anybody in the country. Grant Williams nearly lost SEC Player of the Year because P.J. Washington came on so strong in the last two-thirds of the season. So I'm not saying they're overrated, not saying they're going to lose games, and they lack talent. I just think that the recipe that Calipari has here is different than a lot of other teams. And, you know, you could go back to the, maybe the Jamal Murray year where they lost to Indiana in the second round and say, well, that was the team that didn't have the guy that you feared. I fear Jamal Murray. He has more, his, his scoring average as a freshman is higher than any other player that's ever played at Cal, for, for Cal at Kentucky. 
you could go back to the team that made the NIT. Nerlens Noel was a difference maker in college basketball because of his invisibility to block shots and he had a high motor. So to clarify, Kentucky's going to be really good. I just, I don't look at their, like, here, here's an argument I got in with, with Kentucky fans. And I'll stand by what I at said. At Home Depot or what? I think, what's that? Was it at Home Depot or? No, it was not at Home Depot. Okay, okay. It was not at a restaurant. It was actually somebody that I know very well. You know, my, my whole thing is that I think P.J. Watt, not P.J. Watt, I'm sorry, not P.J., but E.J. Montgomery, I think he has more pressure to significantly improve than any other returning player from Calipari's time in Kentucky because at times, like, the the benefit that E.J. gets, and it's fair, is that he's the first ever top 10 player to come to Kentucky that didn't walk into 30 minutes a game. He had he had P.J. Washington and Reed Travis playing ahead of him. But both guys suffered injury and when they played. There were times where Montgomery looked like a, a future star, but he also had times where he played big minutes and he was non-existent. So I think he could certainly improve and be much better. But the argument I got into, and I'll stand by what I said, I actually would like to get your thought. I don't see a scenario where EJ next year is what PJ was this past year because I just think PJ was that good. EJ could significantly improve. I still don't think he's going to be the player that PJ was because PJ he might end up being the first guy taking some of these Kentucky guys that are in, that are going in the draft. So that's kind of where I stand. And again, not saying they're overrated. Not saying they're going to lose a bunch of games. Not calling them frauds. I just think this is a different type of Calipari roster than I'm used to seeing. Yeah, I'll make an analogy. Right. So, um, Reed Travis comes to Kentucky last year, and he's an All Pac-12 player. He's done it at the highest level. And I think that some fans got spoiled with the grad transfer route of saying, okay, every guy that's going to come here is going to be awesome like Reed Travis. It's like, no, Reed Travis is like a one in a million. You know, he was an all pack 12 guy and he just wanted that next big stage and the opportunity to hopefully get better. And I know his dad has made comments and all that stuff. So why do I bring up Reed Travis? It's because you can't compare everybody else to Reed Travis just because Reed Travis was a certain way. And so with P.J. Washington, the difference between P.J. Washington and E.J. Montgomery is this. P.J. Washington, as a freshman, averaged 11 points and 6 rebounds a game. And so I think it's easy to say, well, you know, P.J. could have been drafted last year. He came back. He was an All-American kind of candidate. E.J. Montgomery is going to make the same leap. Well, E.J. Montgomery, uh, P.J. Washington averaged 11 and 6. P.J. E.J. Montgomery averaged 4 and 4. And so it's a much bigger leap to make to get to where P.J. Washington was this past season. I will say E.J. Montgomery is really good. Like there's a reason he was ranked that high and there's a reason that he didn't play well. Part of it was uh, there was a lot of big bodies in front of him. And part of it was, who knows, it's mental, it's emotional, it's, it's you know, it's, it's, it takes time to adjust. Uh, but I do think it's, it's a little too easy to just say, oh, P.J. Washington came back and he turned himself into a lottery pick and E.J. Montgomery is going to do the same. I'm not saying that he can't. I'm just saying that it, it's probably a little bit unfair to make that leap. And then I do think the question becomes, okay, well, if E.J. Montgomery is like 60% of what P.J. Washington was by the end of the year, one, first of all, I think it's fair to ask, is he even the best player? By the way, I think Ashton Hagen's going to be awesome next year if he gets a little bit more confidence and he's a little bit more consistent. Tyrese Maxey people like, Khalil Whitney people like. So one, is he even the best player? But then two, if he is the best player at 60 65%, whatever it is, of what P.J. Washington was – 
is that good enough to make a leap? I think to 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 back to your point, I do think that Kentucky next year is much more of a to use the old Golden State Warriors term, strength in numbers. Like, there's something to be said for having like nine guys or whatever it is that are all really good that can all play and that all complement each other. It's also something to be said for having seven guys with two superstars the way that Duke did last year. I'm not saying one's better than the other, but I do think I, I do think that um, where they're going to be successful is figuring out who can do what and uh, you know allowing those guys to do that much more than it is. Um, you know, relying on one guy, if that makes sense. I think the college basketball world will be more worried about E.J. Montgomery if he was a freshman. We saw him Which last so year stupid, in stretches look, look non-existent, and I think that's kind of, you know, you told me Kentucky's bringing in the number nine player in the country. I would say, okay, you better, you know, better buckle up because this guy is clearly a, a future star. And after watching him, he's still. I mean, look, I'm not. This isn't even about me saying he's going to be a bust. I just for the the confidence which Kentucky fans got when he decided to come back, I think was for the wrong reason. I don't think he's going to be the one guy that just makes you a difference maker. I think it's going to be the fact that they have a lot of depth and they're going to have a lot of different bodies to throw at you. And I mean, look, Montgomery didn't even get invited to the G League Combine. Yeah. I mean, I think if, if if we're still living off of his potential and his rating, like I think that said a lot about him as a recruit. And again. He didn't even have to. I don't like. I think where I kind of disconnect with Kentucky fans is like I don't even think he has to be great for Kentucky to be good. When I hear people claim that him coming back is the reason why they're going to be so good, I, that's where we just don't agree. I think he could be a pretty solid player, and if they can get production from the eight to ten deep that they have, they're going to be a very dangerous team because they have talent. And you know, there's like if you go one through five, they have two bodies they can throw at you every time. Now, if you want to tell me. You want me to tell you what made the Kentucky fans spit their coffee out this week was, and I stand by this. I, you know, when it comes to production and what's been proven in college, I will take Louisville's front court, Stephen Enoch and Malik Williams Dun-dun-dun. over Nick Richards and E.J. Montgomery. And again, people look at me like I'm like I'm insanely stupid, and I get it because those guys aren't NBA future pros. Maybe Nick Richards eventually is. Maybe E.J. Montgomery is too. But if I'm going off of what guys did per forty minutes. The Louisville guys, I just think, are better. And again, people look at me like I'm crazy. I don't even think that's a homerish thing to say. I just think it's obvious. Well, the one thing I would say is, first of all, a couple of things. One, college basketball, like just looking at these teams, I don't think there's going to be like like it if EJ Montgomery isn't PJ Washington, and if Kentucky doesn't reach the ceiling that it reached last season, like I don't think that precludes them from being an elite eight. Final Four National Championship type team because I look at the rest of the teams and like yeah did I think Zion and RJ Barrett were going to be as good as they were no but I dude I've seen all these freshmen and I'm telling you there's there there are not there's none of these guys that are going to like blow up the way that Zion did now somebody will be good I think it'll actually probably be Cole Anthony at North Carolina like somebody will get the Trey Young treatment where we just over talk about them because ESPN needs somebody to over talk about but, like, I don't think there's those guys that they're just going to walk on the court day one and we're all just going to be like, oh, wow, like, that's a different – like, that's the team to beat. And once you get past that, it comes back to what I was – the point I was going to make, which was every year we talk so much about the freshmen, we talk so much about this, we talk so much about that, and it's the teams that bring back guys like Stephen Enoch, like uh, Malik Williams. Maybe not Malik Williams. He's kind of a, a nut job. But, uh, like – 
the, those kind of veteran teams are the teams that have success. Like it's just it's just the truth. I mean, Virginia last year. Well, it's it's because the guy, the future NBA players in college basketball, regardless of results, get all the hype. That's why Villanova won two out of three titles, and they were never ever in the spotlight when it comes to this sport. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying that's the reality of it. And that's exactly the point I'm trying to make. So, like, if you want to argue that that Louisville's guys will be better at the college level next year, then fill in the blank. Doesn't have to be Kentucky. It could be just about anybody. Um, like, I'm not really going to argue with you. And that that's like as I was trying to in to we can kind of transition into just my top 25 because you know I hate to brag, but you did kind of tell me off the record that you enjoyed my top 25 more than anybody else. Uh, it was more realistic. It was more based off of you know. Yeah. I think, you know, I, I did say I, I would need to see Kerry Blackshear included with Kentucky be as confident in them. But overall, hard, I, I didn't, you know, I, I, there were a lot of rankings I looked at. And I, like yeah. I said, I texted you out of nowhere and just said, hey, I'm all over what the seniors makes the most sense. Yeah, well, first of all, thank you. Because I will say, like, I looked at some of these rankings and it was just, I'm not going to name names, but there were some people that just, like, just totally mailed it in. It's like, yeah, I got Virginia at number four. It's like, What? That makes no sense. They just lost their three best players, and they didn't score. Like they, like they just lost eighty-five percent of their scoring, and it's not as though they were. And they're not replacing them with really anybody. Exactly. And so, like I saw these, like Virginia number four, uh, Villanova number six, and it's just like, okay, like whatever. I mean, I had Villanova at number nine, so I can't really say anything. But um, I, I don't know if you have my rankings out in front of you, or it could be doesn't have to be my rankings necessarily. Did anything – oh, Gonzaga's in – oh, Gonzaga. Like, yo, they lost, like, four really good players, and they, they, they bring in a bunch of freshmen that aren't that good and a grad transfer who didn't play last year. Like, Gonzaga's another one. But uh, it, did anything stand out on my rankings outside of, uh, outside of the Louisville-Kentucky thing? Because I'll be honest, like, I was looking for those veteran teams that kind of quietly were returning a lot and nobody was talking about – I have one in mind that I'm going to talk about in a minute, but I don't feel like there were a lot of those teams. Like I just, I just, I, I, I kept looking and looking and looking, and I just couldn't find them. I just think it's going to be a weird year next year with the sport. Oh, we're on the same page. You know, I was looking at the rankings, and the ACC really doesn't have. I mean, yeah. the ACC in years is known for be. You know, it's got a top tier, it's top heavy, and they've got that middle pack. I don't know where that middle pack is. You know what I mean? I think you've got certain teams that are just there because you expect it with Duke, Virginia, Louisville, and um, in Carolina with, with obviously Cole Anthony coming in. But after that, like it's kind of like, would you really be shocked if any of those other teams make any? Florida State's going to be different. Um, Virginia Tech's going to be complete rebuild of Buzz Williams. And you, know you look at the other, you know, really I, I, this year from the ACC? Our boy Kevin that? Keats. I said, you know who could, could be really good is our boy Kevin Keats. They returned like seven out of their top eight scorers, so. Well, we got Markel Johnson back. Another guy that may never be a top round pick in the first round, but, but him coming back changes the ACC. Like he's going to be preseason first team all league. Him from Aura—that's again, this kind of knocks Jordan a little bit. But for him to be one of the top guys coming back from that league, that kind of shows you that this league is. As much as I love the ACC, and I'll continue to be an ACC honk, if you will, but they've got they've got Johnson. And Wara back, and really everybody else is gone. I mean, Trey Blackshear is going to come back to college, but he's not playing in the ACC. Yeah, Trey Jones is the only other one that comes to mind from Duke. Oh, yeah, Trey Jones is there. And, of course, Cole Anthony and um, who's the big guy at Duke that's uh, Bernie Carey. Like, those guys are going to be – they're going to get a lot of hype, and they probably deserve it. But it just kind of feels like I look at the rest of that league, and it would shock me if a lot of teams that have typically been pretty good have a down year. Mm-hmm. 
Anything else stand out from that top 25? I mean, the ACC not being good, I guess, is probably a talking point. I mean, I, look, I think it's a byproduct. I'll say this a couple things. One, Virginia wins the national championship. They got a bunch of vets. It doesn't really make sense for any of them to come back, so they didn't. So I have no beef with the Virginia guys. Kyle Guy's another one of those examples we mentioned off the top, like Jared Harper, uh, Jordan Bone, who's just like he's an older guy. Like Kyle Guy is literally married right now. Like he needs to start making a living. And so I don't necessarily blame him for leaving, but uh, Virginia loses a bunch of their guys. Uh, you mentioned all the, all the teams. So I guess the ACC, and by the way, North Carolina, like everyone's so focused on Kobe White and whatever, like they had three seniors in their starting lineup with, um, oh, yeah. with Johnson, Cam Johnson, Luke May, and uh, Kenny Williams. Mark, uh, yeah, Kenny Williams. Yeah, so – like, North Carolina actually loses a lot. So, anyway, uh, anything else stand out? Because I do think ACC is probably going to be down a little bit. I actually think the Big East is actually going to be really good. Xavier actually returned. You took the words out of my mouth. The Big East Conference benefited big time from decision yep. decision deadline. Yeah, I'll say this is, um, and I said this on the last show, and I know you saw this guy in person, but Miles Powell, um, I think you can legitimately make the case is the most important returnee of even more than EJ Montgomery or Jordan Noor. Like, I don't think that team is a tournament team without him. And I'm not going to claim that I know, like, the seventh guy on the bench at Seton Hall because I don't. But with him, they now return, I think it's eight out of their top nine scorers. Uh, and they have, like, a bona fide, like, superstar in Miles Powell, who we saw go off against Kentucky, played really well against Louisville, played really well in the Big East tournament. So, uh, But he's really good. Xavier returns basically everybody. Villanova returns a ton. So, uh, yeah, it was only my top 25, but I had five teams from the Big East in the top 25. Well, I think this is my bold prediction. I think Seton Hall, he, to your point, they have everybody else back. I mean, if they would have lost Powell, they still could say we have a lot of guys back. But it's the nucleus. It's what makes them whole, that getting him back is so important. I think Kevin Willard is not at Seton Hall a year from now because I think they have a good enough year where he finally gets a bigger job. Um, and I'm not saying they're going to like make a final four, but I think they're going to be in the limelight because they're going to have a really good year um, and kind of be maybe maybe one of the. I mean, it's not crazy to think they could be the team of the Big East because they were pretty darn good this past year. They just kind of had a couple of slip ups. But you know what I look at is teams this year were kind of good out of nowhere, right? Like Tennessee actually did do well the year before past season, but like they broke through big time this past year. Texas Tech, Chris Beard, I mean, they were in the lead eight the year before. They played in the title game. Like I want to see if those teams are going to be back where they, you know, back obviously to expect both Tennessee and Texas Tech to be in the same position as they were this past year would probably be a little unfair. But like, I want to see if they fall off a cliff. You know what I mean? Like, Because sure. it wouldn't shock me if both teams do. Now, Beard is more a guy I'm confident in because he's actually loading up once he is on grad transfers, and he's proven that he can he can start over from scratch and still be really good. But like Tennessee, are they going to be able to kind of be a team that's respectable? LSU, are they going to be able to kind of pick up where they left off? I think LSU is actually a sneaky team, but despite losing Nas Reed, I still think they have a whole lot of pieces to work with. But like, that's kind of what I look at because the top ten, I kind of look at these teams and think I'm not scared of them. But then again, I can't think of teams to put ahead of them. Yep. So to me, it's more about that second tier. That okay. Some teams are getting getting put in these top 25s just based off what they did a year ago. Yep. I want to see if they can kind of pick up where they left off. Yeah, no, and, and there are a reasonable number of teams like that where, and that's how I try to do it, is I'm like, dude, 
we do this every year. They have a bunch of returnees, and we don't give them any credit. And so a team like Georgetown, I'm not going to say, I'm guessing most people here don't know a ton about Georgetown, but they lose their leading scorer, but they basically bring back everybody else. Uh, NC State loses uh, Torin Dorn, but basically brings back everybody else. And so I tried to account more for those teams, and maybe I could have put them a little higher. Uh, but the point is, is that those are the teams that generally we look up and we're like, oh, okay, that team's actually awesome uh, because they brought back everybody. The, you, you mentioned one team, and this is a team I want to get into. The bad boys of college basketball, LSU. I think they're actually going to be really good next year. I mean, Javante Smart... Um, you know, Javante, uh, you know, big-ass offer Smart over there. Uh, people forget, like, Tremont Waters got hurt, and Javante Smart scored 30 points against Tennessee. Like, Javante Smart's really good. Skylar Mays is really good. We had a listener to the show uh, send me a message on Instagram. He said, I think Skylar Mays is going to be SEC Player of the Year next year. Uh, and I don't disagree with that sentiment that that's possible. Uh, they, they returned a couple big guys, Emmett Williams, whatever, and then they got Trenton Wofford, who was a McDonald's All-American. Like, that's one team to me, and it's just going to drive everyone bananas when it happens. Like, I, I think they're going to be really good. First of all, and by the way, and I've said this on this show many times, everyone, you know, I understand why people are mad about LSU and mad that Will Wade still has a job, but one thing that I feel like isn't being talked about enough that guy actually coached his ass off before, you know, he got suspended for whatever may or may not have happened. Like, like that whole team was freshmen and sophomores last year, and he had them in the top 10 SEC regular season champs, made the Sweet 16 without him. Like, that guy— They went in and won at Rupp. They won at Rupp. They beat Tennessee head-to-head. They beat Florida uh, twice in the regular—like, like, like he was a really good coach, and I understand the frustration of a fan that's saying, yeah, but he cheated to get all his players. I get that, uh, allegedly. I get that he allegedly did what he did, but you still got to, like, and I've used this guy as an example a million times. Mark Gottfried is a perfect example of a guy, you can cheat your ass off to get players, but once they get to campus, if you don't coach them, it doesn't matter, and so I know everyone wants to be critical of Will Wade. I get it. People actually have reached out to me and say, I talk about Will Wade too much on this show. All I'm saying is I understand the frustration if you're an opposing fan and you're like, this guy cheated his you-know-what off to get players, but I also think that we can't not acknowledge that he actually did a good job coaching them when he actually got them to campus. Well, yeah, I mean, they were the typical team that, because they were so young, they would play down to competition, but when they played good teams, they always played well. That's what typical normal teams, young teams do for the most part. I mean, you know, maybe Calipari is a guy known for – his guys, despite being young, they, you know, they'll have those slip ups, but normally they kind of bring it year round where he kind of, I think, gets the benefit of the doubt given the fact that they had talent, but he was coaching a bunch of young guys. And what I, what I'm anxious to see is do they kind of just, are they able to kind of avoid all the nonsense? Because it's not going anywhere. I mean, that's, they're, they're going to be, even next year, if he's still coaching in November, they're going to be a huge talking point, even if they're not good because of, his involvement and all that. So how they deal with that, I think, will be key. But you know, they they the fact that they played at Kentucky, and again, I know that that was a close game, and there was definitely a controversial call that that led to LSU being able to win. But I was amazed that they literally had the bodies to. I mean, they, I mean, again, I don't know how many future pros are on this LSU team compared to the future pros that are on Kentucky. They had size, they had athletes, they had speed. It looked like a you know a team that had a load of talent. That, that was the game where I really realized, okay. 
this LSU team, they're not a fluke. You know, they're, they're really, really good. They lost early in the year to Houston. I thought, okay, maybe that's a bad loss, but then eventually we learned Houston and Kelvin Sampson were also no joke. So, I, I'm, you know, in a weird way, I kind of want to see what Will Wade does just because, you know, even if he does do well, you know this, Aaron, you've already felt it from your opinion of the chip shared. If he, if they are one seat next year, people will claim that it's because he cheats and gets players. But, you know, Mark Godfrey cheated and got players too, and they sucked. Oh, yeah. No, and I, I listen, and this was something I, I talked about weeks ago on this show when the FBI trial was unfolding, and it really looked like for the first time, okay, Sean Miller and Will Wade are somehow going to survive this because whatever tapes the FBI allegedly has are not going to be played in court. And I said this, is like, I'm not saying... I'm a believer that if you don't have the proof, like, like I don't think you should just fire Sean Miller or Will Wade. I don't think you should fire Will Wade because Yahoo claims that they have access to a wiretap that we haven't heard. But I also think the inverse of, like, I still think it could be 10 years down the road and Will Wade could win the 2030 SEC title at LSU if he's still there, which he won't be, but... And it would still be like, yeah, well, he cheats to get played. Like, like I don't think that that reputation is ever actually going to leave either Sean Miller or Will Wade. It I, won't. Yeah, it never will. Yeah, and I, I like. I'm not. By the way, I'm not saying. By the way, I, I to be clear, I don't blame LSU and Arizona for not firing those guys. I still think both of those schools, in the back of their heads, would love to fire them. They're just waiting for some kind of cause to pop up. But I also so I don't blame the schools for not firing them, but I also don't blame fans for being frustrated. Like you know, if you're a Tennessee sure. fan or a Kentucky fan or whoever, and you're like competing for an SEC title, and it's like it's so obvious that something probably happened. I understand your frustration as well. Believe it or not, this is a show that we actually can see both sides of things. You don't yeah. have to be completely one side or the other. It's refreshing, isn't it? Yeah. Listen, there's nothing more refreshing than this show. So anything else uh, on the? Um, on the top twenty-fives, because I do want to ask you about my 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 dust up with Australia, and then we'll get. I out was here. hoping you were going to get to this because oh. that's what I was waiting for all all evening. Okay, so first of all, I'll say this. Uh, so this story uh, has taken on a life of its own. I was actually I was telling Nick before the show, but so I was at the Pangos All American Camp this 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 weekend. It's a big high school event with uh, all the top high school players were there. Uh, Cade Cunningham, who's like a fucking stud. He's unbelievable. He's like the number three player in the class, the upcoming senior class. Evan Mobley, a number one player in the class, was there. Terrence Clark, 2021, really good player. A lot of really, really good players. But I did have like two or three people like, dude, what happened with you in Australia last week? So uh, first of all, shout out to our boy Torrent Craig. Uh, I hope he's doing well in whatever Torrent Craig is doing right now. Also, um... Yeah, like uh, everyone listening knows the story, Nick, but like I stand by what I said. I didn't articulate it the best, but my only argument was RJ Hampton's exact quote was, this is the best path to prepare me for the NBA, and I just don't agree. Like the best path is actually to go to the G League, uh, and people in Australia just, they're not accepting of the fact that they have a very nice professional basketball league. It is not the best path to prepare RJ Hampton for the pros. Not at all. I mean, and this is something that I think it's, you know, what I learned from your timeline, from your <laughs> mentions, is that sure. the people in Australia know as much about college basketball as I do about professional rugby. There I mean, you go. Just, the fact that, again, they can throw a few names out of guys who played in college, that played in the, you know, NBL, and, and they made their, whatever the hell the league's called, and played in, in, in the NBA, but like the names they mentioned kind of made your point. And look, Seth Greenberg, who's a guy I'm not a huge fan of, I dislike him, but I just, 
he's clearly always going to defend college basketball and all coaches. And he, you know, he's anti guys going, but he, he's not necessarily somebody that I'm a huge fan of. But he said it best: if if RJ Hampton goes to Kansas, he will play against more future NBA players in college basketball than he will in the NBL. Doesn't mean he's not going to play against grown men. Doesn't mean he's going to not play against talent. But like that was my whole thing. I have no issue with RJ Hampton doing what he did. Other guys have done it. What makes him different than others is that he didn't have to. You know, Brian Bowen, Terrence Ferguson, uh, Brandon Jennings, I believe. Those guys had situations where they probably could not play in college. He could have, but he chose not to. And if you want to do it, it's fine. Go ahead and, you know, start your clock, if you will, when you're making money playing the game because that window of time, you know, Aaron, you and I, what we, you and I do, Aaron, we can do it till we're 60. We can still stay sharp. If you're playing ball, making a living, you can't do it. Father Tom's undefeated. So I'm not even mad that he made the decision. I don't give a damn at all. In fact, I'm not even going to sit here and say it was a terrible move, but to claim that the reason you're doing it is because college basketball simply doesn't benefit you is a crock of shit. And I pardon my French, but that's just that's the reality of it. If anybody really looks at the situation, it's it's fairly obvious, which made me so puzzled by the conversation you and I had midweek where you were just literally – you were public enemy number one in, in the Ooh. country of Australia. And I, I don't was. think it's and, – and I, I mean, look, I've had to you all the time because you're my boy. But like it wasn't even that that you know it wasn't even that big of a it wasn't even that strong of a take. It wasn't at all. And like I said, there were some things that I would have articulated differently in the article. But it, what was crazy about it is exactly what you said. They came at me and they were like, and and I don't know if you saw this tweet, but I put out the audio where the guys like some guys like, bro, don't you understand? In the last two years, we've sent Andrew Bogut, Terrence Ferguson, and Torrent Craig to the NBA. And I was like, yo, I, listen, I'm sure Torrent Craig is an incredible basketball player, but I know this, and this is what I said on the last episode, if R.J. Hampton had gone to Duke, or if R.J. Hampton had gone to Kansas, Kansas opens with Duke next year. Duke has sent more, Duke will send more guys to the league uh, over the last two years than the NBL has sent to the, to, to the NBA in the last 10 years. So just stop. And it was just, it was like, and that was the, you know, Nick, and, and sometimes in, I know our buddy Matt Jones has been in situations like this. I, I don't. I'm sure you've been, in, where like there are things that you're gonna say that you can kind of predict, like what the reaction is gonna be, who you're gonna piss off, like what segment of hey, if I say this about Kentucky, it's gonna piss off Louisville fans. Hey, if I say this about sure. Auburn, it's gonna piss off uh, Auburn fans. Maybe if I just it, you know, I'm sure there's been days on your show where you just have to come on and say, hey, Kentucky is better than Louisville. Deal with it. And that's probably pissed off a lot of Louisville fans. And you can kind of predict what the reaction will be. With this particular situation, I had no idea that I was going to offend so many people. And it wasn't, it wasn't anything that I wrote with the intention of like, oh man, I, huh, you know, you know who I'm, you know, who I'm really after today, Australia. Like I woke up on the wrong side of the bed. You know who's going to get the brunt of it today? Oh, Australia is going to get it good today. Like they don't even know what's coming to them. It's like no, I just all, all I said was, and I like I stand by it. It's just his exact if, if and I said this on the last episode is if his exact quote had been, look, you know, he did say something about balancing books and basketball. If he just said. Look, you know, I, I take my education very seriously, but my future is as a prof- is as a professional basketball player. This will, you know, this will allow me to make some money. It'll make allow me to make some good money. Um, you know, I can focus solely on basketball without any school. And the acclimation process in o- overseas, it'll make it easier because they speak English. Like I have, I have literally zero argument with that. Um, 
But if his argument is this is going to best prepare me, that's just not factually correct. And as I've said a couple times, I'm not Mr. Pro College Basketball here. The best place is probably the G League because guess what? Shout out to Torrent Craig. I know that he's a big time, he was big time in the NBL, but there's probably a hundred guys in the G League right now that have either played in the NBA or will play in the NBA next season. If that was really what it was about, preparing for the NBA, then go to the G League. But he didn't say that. He said this was the best path. No, you just don't want to go to the G League because you can probably make triple the money, quadruple the money that the G League's going to offer, and you're not going to have to ride buses in Ogden, Utah. Like, that's fine. Just say it. But my whole thing, and by the way, like I said a couple times, I'm not even being critical of the kid. I think he did what's best for him. Uh, I think that because he's a really good player, I think he could have success. I think other kids could actually follow his path. I'm not against it. But just don't say that this is the best possible path because it isn't. It's a lie. Look, there's something to be said for not having to do anything academically. You could just be focused on basketball. There's something to be said about a pro league being able to, you know, say you're our you're our investment and we're going to invest and make you better. But then again, you lose that argument there because they know they're losing that for a year. It's just publicity for them. Megan, and, and you did tell me midweek that he's different than the other guys that have done it. He's actually a superstar type player. But I think the people who look foolish more than anything in this whole thing, and again, I'm biased. You're my boy. I'm always defend you. But the people that acted as if your 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 opinion was just asinine. Like if you really just yeah. pay attention to the specifics of what was being said, it's obvious. Like the NBL, the reason it's a good league is because of the publicity that it gets. It has really good fan engagement. It's a great place to live in Australia and New Zealand. But. Other than that, it's not even close to being one of the better pro leagues abroad. It's not. They don't. Have, I mean, they have good players to an extent, but you can go to other leagues in Greece, in Italy, and they are littered with more guys that you've watched play in the NBA, guys that you've watched be stars in the in, in college. You know, the, the guy who won Rookie of the Year one year in the NBL wasn't even a wasn't even a role player. Isaac Humphries was, wasn't Isaac even in existence. So. I just think people look at you because know, again, you you look at I me. Mean, the NBL does a great job of promoting their league. They make it a big deal. It is it is attractive to foreign players because of the lifestyle that you can have. You can also go play in Russia and live in twenty feet of snow. You're gonna make a lot of money, but the lifestyle sucks. So both those things kind of matter. And look, I even understand if you're arguing like one of the ways to say it helps you better prepare for the NBA. Maybe prepare is not the right word to use, but you can go hide there. Brian Bowen was able to hide in, in, in Australia. And he's going to end up maybe getting drafted in the second round, but it won't be because it'll be basically because they're still working on him eventually realizing his potential. So no matter what angle you want to look at this whole topic, the, 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 what we circle back to is the whole notion of that, well, I had to do this because it's going to prepare me better for the NBA. It's complete bullshit. No matter how you look at it, it is. Yeah, and uh, I, I want to give a quick shout out to to one of the regular readers of the sh regular listeners of the show uh, because he did reach out uh, last week asking me about this specific topic, and I did address it on the last episode. His name is Brandon Patterson, listens all the time, and what he said was, and and he kind of just brought up the point, which it's something that you and I get into a lot, like so. I, I'm obviously a guy that defends college basketball, college athletics. Like, I don't think that – so I had somebody tell me this this weekend. The major programs, they spend upwards of like $150,000 a year on kids, whether it's free – per kid, per kid. 
So Nick Coffey gets a scholarship to Louisville. Louisville's going to spend about $150,000 on you with tuition, room and board, free food, charters, hotels, whatever. Now, if you want to argue, you know, spend less money on the kid, don't build a new practice facility and pay the kid, okay, whatever. That's a separate argument. The argument that I'm trying to make is that life isn't that bad. And so the, the email that Brandon sent in last week is what you and I talk about all the time, is I think that there are certain members of the media that no matter what happens at the college level are going to say, oh, these kids are getting screwed and amateurism is the worst. And I'm like, no, amateurism is actually pretty good for like 99.999% of the participants. Um, and if somebody wants to choose an alternate path, that's fine. And, and like I said, there was one or two things that I would have done differently in the article if I could do it over. Um, but the main genesis remains the same, which is just if the yeah, only but, yeah, and that's that, and that's my thing is that I, it, at the end of the day, the, and you know maybe you could have maybe mentioned a few other things to kind of circle home your point, but it doesn't I mean again I, I'm biased. But there was nothing about, and I think even more time that's passed, more people realize, yeah, that, that was nonsense. But it, that's the cool thing to do, Aaron. Is yeah, screw the NCAA. This guy's standing up for his rights. He's going to go play pro and make money. And like, like you said, less than one percent of players are ever exploited. Yeah, I'll tell you this. I, I saw somebody who works at ESPN this week, and th- and I actually mentioned this guy, the other guy that I'm about to talk about on air, but he was like, dude, Jay Williams on whatever the show is, not first take, get up. Like, Jay Williams was literally, like, applauding the decision. And this guy that was... God, he's such a... Yeah, and I... I'm sorry. No, no, no. I'm sorry. No, it's okay, because I said this on this show last week. I said, like, Jay Williams is the perfect example of everything that I loathe in the media. Now, like, somebody like Jay Billis, I disagree with, but I think he comes at it more from, like, a lawyerly, like, this is an antitrust thing, and, like, whatever. I don't agree with Jay Billis, but, like, he and I have talked privately, and, you know, we've had our beefs on social media, but we've talked privately, we're cool, whatever. But Jay Williams is just the Mr., like, oh, these kids are getting so railroaded. And it's like, dude, Jay Williams, bro, like, I'm not trying to be a jerk, but you crashed your motorcycle, and you literally only have a career because of what you accomplished at Duke. If you had been if if you had decided straight out of high school, I'm going to go play in Australia for a year and obviously there was no one and done rule, so he could have just so if he had just gone to the NBA straight out of high school and had the same career and I'm not wishing ill will on anybody, but the reality is he got in a motorcycle accident. He would not be in well, basketball media right now. But he says more he says more things that I just I try to give him the benefit of the doubt and give and think okay, well he he's saying it for a reason, but like the whole thing about Michigan, about how he, somebody needs to come in and fix the culture, like that's just yeah. dumb. Hey, like he just—I mean, yeah, I don't want to single him out and act like he's the only person that's on front of in front of a camera saying extremely stupid stuff. But he has better examples than anybody I could think of in recent years. Well, yeah, no, he said he said they need to bring back the culture, which I think is the culture of, you know, like such a smack in the face to Beeline, who actually amid the scandalous college basketball sport, he has a perfect example of what we call it a different way. Exactly, I don't disagree. All right, so I got I got off my chest uh, my stuff with Australia. We talked about top twenty fives. We talked for over an hour, Nick. Is there anything else before I let you go? I just want to give you one last shot here. Uh, anything else that we haven't talked about? I'll just say that I needed that. That was a really uh, it was a fun show. I feel like it, it's been a while since uh, you called the bullpen and brought me in, and certainly a lot, uh, lots to dive in. And I think uh, you know normally I could always dig deep in the barrel and find something else, but I think we, you know, for what we do, college basketball, this is I think easily one of the best college basketball podcasts out there. I'm pretty sure we hit all angles for a show that's going to be you know released early June. 
It is going to be released early June. we got plenty to get into in the next few weeks about the draft and everything that comes with it. So I want to thank Nick Coffey. Uh, you can, of course, hear Nick 7 to 10 Eastern, 790KRD. Uh, 790KRD. Follow him on Twitter at the Card Connect. You can follow me on Twitter at Aaron underscore Torres. Uh, for those of you listening for the first time, please make sure to subscribe to the show, Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. You can do it on iTunes, Podcast Addict, Podbean, TuneIn Radio. Also, please give us a quick five-star rate and review. Uh, follow on Instagram, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast. And also, if you have any questions, like Brandon, who sent in a great question last week, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. That is all for today. We'll be back next week. We'll be back later in the week, excuse me. Shout out to Torrent Craig. We'll talk to you guys soon. <laughs>